Father, I pray that as we continue to worship you by reading your word and listening to what it is that you're saying to our hearts this morning, I pray that we would glorify and honor you with a thankful heart that you have given to us as a result of your son. Thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to tackle the first several verses inside of Galatians and look at what Paul is trying to say to a church. And, and the idea of these is that they are letters that were written to churches, folks. These were churches that had been planted and were beginning to flourish and, and were encountering the world, just as you will as soon as you leave, right? And so we have the opportunity to have kind of a window into what it was like to be a church that was led by Paul. And as he writes these letters, some of the estimates are that he had been at this church two years previous and had gotten word that, that they were struggling with some things, that, that there were folks there trying to teach them things that were contrary to what Paul had taught them about the gospel of Jesus. And Paul is pretty blunt by later in the book, you'll read, he says, you foolish Galatians. He uses this terminology boldly because they've been, they've been diverted in their faith a bit. They've allowed someone else to be inside of their thought process and, and they're missing what the gospel is. And so this entire book is really about the foundation of salvation. What does it mean to trust Christ? What does that mean? Why did Jesus come and, and live among us and die and then be risen again? That's the foundation of everything that we rest everything else on today. It's the place that we have to start in our own hearts. It's the place that is to grip you whenever you see things that grieve you in this world. It's because you understand that you have hope not of this world. <laughs> that you can see past what it is that's going on in front of you just as Jesus did for the joy set before Him. As you read the first several verses you'll see that Paul introduces himself again to those folks and has to reiterate some things to them. So the first two verses there, if you're following along, Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the church in Galatia. He's having to lay out the fact that he is not sent by men. You see, there were two different groups of people that were trying to sort things out in this particular time frame. There were those that had worshipped the one true God all the way back to the, the days of Exodus, right? We know the Jews and we see their story and it unfolds. And they follow the one true God and they're God's chosen people, right? 
and they believed they had a firm hold on that God and that He was their God and He was their Savior. They had waited for a Messiah. They had been promised a Deliverer and they were given Jesus. One that would deliver them eternally but not in reality, right? And they would choose to crucify Him. By the Roman authority, they would choose to end his life, and then three days later, he is risen. And so you find yourself, as Paul is dealing with a mixed audience, there are Jews there and there are Gentiles. Those are people that are, that are grafted in because of Jesus' sacrifice. And he's speaking to these folks, and some of the Jews were saying, well, Paul was sent to you on the authority of Jerusalem. He was a Jew. He was Saul. He persecuted the church. He was a Jew. And, and so he's Jewish, and you need to follow the Jewish rules to be saved. And that's where this book opens. Paul defending himself, saying, I wasn't sent by any man. I was not sent here from Jerusalem to tell you about the rules of Judaism. He makes it very clear, I was not sent by men or any man, period, but by Jesus and by God the Father who raised Him from the dead. And this is what I told you, he says in verse 3, basically. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. And according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He reiterates what the gospel really is. He doesn't attach anything to it. He doesn't make it about a nationality. He doesn't make it about a set of rules. He doesn't make it about anything except Jesus. That I was sent here not by men, but as a part of the will of God the Father because of Jesus Christ His Son whom He raised from the dead. That's why Paul was among them. To tell them and to tell you that Jesus died to rescue you. To rescue you from your sins, from this present evil age. And I hear it, and I've just talked about it this morning some, I hear people tell me all the time, how do you follow a book that's so old-fashioned? And yet here we sit, and would you define, how would you define the present day and age that we live in? There are a lot of sorry things happening in our world. A lot of evil things in this present evil age. <laughs> and we need rescued. And therein is the beginning of the rub, right? <laughs> to acknowledge the fact that you need rescued. That's really where it all starts, isn't it? Because the gospel doesn't mean anything to you if you don't acknowledge the fact that you need it. 
You have to start with that. It cannot make an impact in your life if you don't think you need it. If you don't understand that at your very core, the theological termination that we use is called total depravity. That man left to his own devices is not good. Regardless of what the theologians in the 90s said, there is not a hero that lives inside of you. It was Mariah Carey. All right? The thing that sets you apart is the grace of my God and the mercy through His Son, Jesus. That's the foundation of goodness. No one can be righteous without it. When you know in the deep recesses of your mind that to be true. I hate to use children as an example. I love kids. But there is nobody hiding in your child's bedroom teaching them how to lie to you. Right? They figured it out on their own, didn't they? You figured it out. Because ultimately, we don't want to accept the blame for things we do wrong and we don't want to, to, to live up to the expectations that may be placed on us by our world sometimes. At the very heart of the question is, do you understand that principle? Do you believe it? I believe that God does really good things in our world through people. That's different than saying that, that good people do good things. Does that make sense to you? God orchestrates all things for the good of them who believe. God orchestrates everything in our world and He uses people to do really good things, but it's ultimately from Him and through Him and then He needs to get the glory, right? You're going to be so tired of that phrase by the time I retire. It shows up over and over and over in principle and in practice, folks. That aside from the grace that we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ, outside of the will of God the Father, we would not be very good people. We see it all around us if we're honest. What can happen when we allow ourselves to get in to our own minds and allow ourselves to pursue the things that we think of? That sounds pretty depressing, right? <laughs> but the beauty of it is, is that God doesn't leave us there. It was never His intention. Whether you were a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, God always had in mind to rescue you, to deliver you, 
and to reunite you with God His Father in heaven. That was always the plan. And you need only to understand it and embrace it and accept it as a gift. Foundationally, that's all you need to stand on. You've been justified. You've been declared righteous. You've been declared good through Jesus if you accept that. And that's what Paul is saying. That's it. He's going to go on here in verses 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. The gospel being that Jesus was the payment for your sins, the propitiation for your sin. And that's it. Someone is perverting that by saying, Jesus and your good works. Jesus and your obedience. Jesus plus something. And it's just not true. Justification required only Jesus' sacrifice. Paul made that very clear when he taught them originally. But he's having to remind them. It's just what I said last week and the week before. It's not necessarily about instruction all the time, is it? But it's about reminding yourself. A lot of these things we know and we understand, but we forget them or we get lost in things. And he says, I can't believe that you're so easily deserting, so quickly turning to a different gospel. It's been happening in the church since the very beginning, folks. That they pivot, that they lose sight of it, that they say, but there are a lot of hurting people, and if we just meet the needs of our community, right? And, and so they put on sock drives, and they do all kinds of good works, and, and before you know it, ten years later, their community loves them, but they haven't told them about Jesus. They've just given away a lot of socks. There's a difference in what Paul is saying. He's saying it's not Jesus plus your good social activism. It's just Jesus. If you want to help people understand the Bible, you've got to stay in the Bible. We'll talk about how to do some of that other stuff. And I love that our community embraces us but I always want them to know why, right? That we don't don't love them because we're really good people. (laughs) Because that's sometimes what they're going to think, folks. They're just going to think those are really nice people. And if you don't tell them any different, they're just going to believe it's you. They're never going to understand that what motivates you is your faith in Jesus Christ. There's someone that is throwing them into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. He's pretty firm with these Galatians because it's such a detrimental thing. Because if they believe that it's Jesus and something, then it's no gospel at all, right? 
that if you can earn it, if I can follow the rules and say, yes, I believe in Jesus and I've checked all the boxes, then there is no gospel. Then why did Jesus have to die? If I could get there on my own merit, if I could earn it, then what was the point? Why did Jesus have to do it that way? He had to do it that way because we needed rescued. (laughs) An acknowledgement of our need is what makes the gospel effective in our life and in other people's lives. And that's what makes the gospel so amazing is that it's available to anyone at any time in any place in their life. You don't have to fix yourself up. You don't have to get everything straightened out, then figure out who Jesus is. It doesn't work that way. The gospel is for everyone at every time in every place. Paul goes on to say in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you. Let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, and so I now say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. He's saying this to the the faction of people. They were called Judaizers. They were folks that were throwing the group into confusion by saying, If you want to come to Jesus, then you must be circumcised, first of all. You must follow the Jewish law and be circumcised physically, a representation of the one true God. They were still holding on to a physical manifestation of their salvation. And you've got to follow our dietary rules. When we were in Israel, right, we made a pretty big mistake one night. We went into the dining area. We looked at the tables. A lot of them were full. Some of our friends were sitting over here. And so we thought, well, there's an empty table, nothing on it. We went over and we sat down at that table and there was no water or anything and realized that table, by their law, had been ceremonially cleaned that night in preparation for the morning. And we had contaminated it by having our meat on that table. Now that's a cultural thing, obviously. Those those people could know Jesus and still follow those rules. That's okay. But they have to know Jesus. (laughs) It's not just the clean table that gets them into heaven. What was happening was these combinations of people, these people that were living together inside of the church were saying to one another, I've just, I've just come to Jesus and I've got to figure out how to live for Him. And the Jews were saying, well, here, I've got a system for you. And this is the proper way. I'm pretty sure that when Jesus was alive, He said, I am the only way. 
And so we cannot pervert that gospel. We cannot take a, a way of stone from that foundation. We cannot add to it in any way. It doesn't have the same effect. That foundation needs to be Jesus, His sacrifice, and His rising, His resurrection. If you want to tell somebody about your faith, that's it. That's the foundation of all that we believe. That Jesus was a man, that He died, and that God raised Him from the dead on the third day, and He now sits at the right hand on our behalf. It's the only way to get there. And it's by grace through faith that you can get there. The Jewish laws were always meant to be an inside-out thing. They were meant to affect your heart first, that you would love, what, the very greatest command, right? We've talked about it just the last couple of weeks in preparation, that you would love God first and then love others. The first command that they were given is that to love the Lord your God. That's where it started. All of those things that flow out of the Ten Commandments and all the dietary restrictions, all of those things were to flow from the inside out, from your love of God, and live representationally for Him. So what they were telling these folks is that that's the only way you could do it. And they were throwing them into confusion that how important really was Jesus. Well, He was important enough that He offers grace to us today that God accomplished everything he possibly could and this is one of the things that is that needs to be said probably every week about our faith that we have one of the only faiths if not the only one in the world that believes that God the Father and Jesus his son the deities in our faith did all the work There is no, well, if you do this and live up to our standards, you get in. It's already been paid. 100% of your sin has been erased. It's gone. You don't have to do anything about it. One of the saddest things you can hear is when you listen to a Muslim or a Hindu or one of these other folks of the world religions tell you, well, we just try to do enough and we hope that they let us in. They never have an assurance of anything. They never know for sure if they've done enough. Because it's all about how much good you can muster to grant the favor of God to them. And that's not what the Bible says. It makes it very clear. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, another letter that Paul addresses a different group of people, he lays it out just as plainly as it could be. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. The grace exists there for you. Your faith in Jesus is all it takes. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. 
not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, plain and simple, what Paul was addressing in Galatians doesn't match up. Because we know very well that our nature is to do good things, as we talked about last week, so that we look good. So that we can tell people about it. And if you're going to boast, I'm telling you to boast about Jesus. Do good things, but then say, I do them because I know how much Jesus did for me. You're allowed to boast, folks. You just need to do it about Jesus. No man should boast. Because we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You're supposed to be doing good works. But guess what? They were prepared in advance for you to do. Everything is waiting on your acceptance of a free gift. The gospel that comes through the Bible from Jesus, from the mouth of Paul to the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all of these letters that he wrote to the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, none of it changes. It is all about Jesus, Him crucified, and Him risen. And all you have to do is understand that and believe it. Have faith in who Jesus is. Go do good works because He will lead you to the ones that He has already prepared in advance to do. When you spend time alone with Him, when you take time to sort out all the clutter and you listen closely to what it is that God wants you to do, it's amazing how much you can do on His behalf. How many things that He brings across your path to take care of without even trying. The true gospel is that we sin, there's grace extended as a gift, and then we get to live according to the recognition of that met need. Once you recognize that you need rescued and you cry out for it, then you can live as if you've been rescued, right? How many people have had a real near-death experience and come out on the other side and say, I'm going to live differently now. I've been given a second chance. Well, guess what? Every one of you has been given a second chance. Every one of you has been rescued from sin and from death. If you understand what Jesus did for you in eternity, then every one of you is already living on your second chance. The one that should motivate you to do things that glorify Him. To be thankful for the one that rescued you from your sin. First Corinthians 3, 10-15 Because I believe we've got to stick with this foundation il- illustration and image. I wanted, I wanted you to just read this and I want you to, to think about it this week because I, it's going to build on itself through the next several weeks as we look at how to stay focused on just Jesus and yet, and yet live for Him, it can be confusing. I get it. By the grace God has given me, Paul says, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. 
I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation can never change. The Gospel has to be the Gospel all the time. The foundation of your life cannot change. What you build on it is going to be up to you, but the foundation is what secures eternity. Verse 12, If anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light and it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what, he has been, if what has been built survives, then the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, then the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. The foundation doesn't change in that story. The recognition of two ways to build, right? It's kind of, in my mind, the origin of the three little pigs, right? You got the, you got the brick house, you got the straw, right? Blow and I'll blow and I'll blow your house down. Someday your building is going to be tested by fire. And what God says is that if you have built on the foundation of Jesus, no matter what, you will be saved. If the foundation is Jesus, you're saved. Period. No matter what happens. That's salvation. That's justification. That's the first step in a relationship with God the Father. You can't tie all the stuff to it. The foundation is separate from what you are going to build. When you build on it, if you build with gold or costly stones, that's up to you. If you want to build with hay and straw and just slap something up, that's up to you. That's the sanctification process. That's what your life looks like as a result of the foundation that you've already laid. Either way, it's going to be tested by fire. And if what you have done has been good and strong and sturdy and and beautiful and glorifying, then you will receive a reward on top of salvation. Salvation won't be taken from you if you build out of straw, though. Your foundation is secure if you believe Jesus. Trust Him with your life. You may smell like smoke when you get there. Right? As one escaping through the flames. We used to call it, that's somebody that just got fire insurance. They believe in Jesus, but but their life doesn't always reflect it, right? That's not for you to discern whether or not they're saved. You're going to be shocked who's in heaven and who's not, maybe someday. Because it has nothing to do with the way people act. The good or bad things they do, folks. 
It's based on the grace of Jesus. No man can impute that. The foundation is what the foundation is. And it's Jesus. We can't pervert the gospel. I hope that you've heard it clear enough. Because every one of you has to make that discernment in your own heart and your mind. In your own life, is it Jesus, the rescuer and deliverer of my life and I want to live as if I've been given a second chance? Or is it Jesus is over here and when I do enough, I'll get there? Don't wait. Don't wait. You don't have to. That's the point. It's not really up to you to earn it. It's up to you to say thank you with your life. When we talked about Romans 12 a couple of weeks ago, that that we stand in view of God's mercy and offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. It doesn't say offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, then receive mercy, right? You've already received mercy, and as a result, you get to surrender your life and do what it is that God wants you to do from that point on. I'm not naive enough to think that in a room this size, there's not somebody that has it backwards. That somebody's been taught the other way around. And I just want you to be clear that it doesn't have to work that way anymore. Jesus is very clear when He says He is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul is clear when he says the foundation has been laid and you cannot lay any other foundation besides Jesus. What you do after that is up to you. But the foundation has got to be the foundation. If you're struggling with life and the weight of your sin, throw it off today. It doesn't belong to you anyway. If you haven't done that, if you haven't fully surrendered to who Jesus is, if you think you're not good enough, I would challenge you, then why not do it today? Because it's very clear in Scripture, you don't have to wait. Why not today? I'm going to pray for you guys. And while I pray, I want you to wrestle with who Jesus really is. And in your own heart, be honest with Him. Acknowledge your need to be saved, to be rescued, and to be willing to embrace the role that He gives you in view of that mercy. Father, thank You for Your love for us. In mere human terms, it just doesn't make sense that somebody would sacrifice so much 
on our behalf and yet have no expectation of repayment. But Lord, that is what You've done. You've given us all of You. Lord, I pray that we would accept that. That we would embrace the grace that You've given to us. That it would free our hearts. That we would now stand in view of Your mercy as never before. That we would find the freedom that Paul talks about in Galatians later. That freedom of our heart to get to do what it is that You want us to do. To become excited about the fact that that weight of impressing a holy God doesn't really exist. That You've already taken care of it. Father, thank You for Your grace in my life. For the forgiveness that's new every morning. Lord, I pray that You would continue to help us stay focused on what You're doing in our lives. But more importantly, I pray that we would look past the reality that we live in to the eternity that we get to spend with You. That would encourage us, that it would give us strength, wisdom, and comfort to know how much You love us. In Jesus' name, Amen.